Good afternoon, Sarah Hepla. Good afternoon, Nancy Rommelman, a.k.a. Moderate MILF. Moderate MILF. Which it be, it's it's uh, like 2.30 in the afternoon, which probably means it's like 9.30 at night for you since you've been up since 1.30 in the morning writing. Is that, is that about right? at 3.30 today, mm-hmm. like a proper citizen. I don't think I went to bed till 3.30. But, uh, Good. You handed I, the baton to me. That's right. We yes. One of us needs to always be awake. That's, that's right. That's the way it is. That's right. It's, or we can't leave our watch. So, um, Sarah, is there anything you want to tell the listeners before we get to our very special super secret guest today? Just that they look nice today. They always do. Their hair always looks so good, which is really cool. Um, listeners, we are super delighted today to have a guest with us. Uh, Jamie Kerchick is here with us. I've known Jamie since we sat next to each other at a 2020 taping of the Bill Maher show. You remember that, Jamie? That's right. That was a lot of fun. I think we were <laughs> watching, was it Matt Welch was on? Or? Matt was there and you were there with the uh, editor-in-chief of uh, LA Magazine. That's who right. never He was great. And then yeah. I remember, I don't know who was on with Matt, but I remember you were yelling at the person. <laughs> Whoever it was. Probably true. Probably true. <laughs> um, we are here uh, for a couple of reasons. Most recently, Jamie published an article over the weekend on Army Hammer, and we are going to talk all about that. But I also just want to give you a little intro because earlier in the year, I guess last year, uh, Jamie published a book called Secret City, The Hidden History of Gay Washington, which I have to admit I have not finished because it is a doorstopper of a book. I think you started working on this book when you were age seven or something. About, about that, yeah. yeah. But it is magnificent. It's like eating popcorn. It is so incredibly readable, and I, I highly recommend it. And, of course, we'll put a link into the show notes. Um, you've written for Tablet. You are now – are you an editor-at-large at Airmail? Uh, that- Writer-at-large, yeah. Writer-at-large. So Airmail, for people who don't know it, was started by Graydon Carter. It's very, very much in the um, in the vein of, of Vanity Fair. I think it's even like the, the same like type face and stuff. It looks very mm-hmm. similar. And that is where you published this 9,000 words, I think. It sounds about right. Yeah. On uh, Army Hammer. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to prelim what that's all about. Some of our listeners will know, but Jamie, why don't you just launch into how and why you, you did this story? So for your listeners who aren't familiar, Army Hammer is an, is an actor, a pretty well-known actor. He played the Winklevoss twins in the social network uh, he was the Lone Ranger opposite Johnny Depp. Uh, he was in Call Me by Your Name, the, the great you know in, in independent gay romance uh, classic with Timothy Chalamet. And in January 2021, he was the subject of numerous accusations from a variety of women, and it unfolded over several weeks. It started off with some private text messages that he exchanged in which he was expressing his uh, sort of cannibalistic sexual fetishes, fetishes, um, BDSM fantasies. And then a number of women who had dated him came out and said that they had basically been pressured or coerced into participating in some BDSM activities that they weren't comfortable with. One woman claimed that he carved his initial uh, in her like inner groin near her vagina uh, and then in March, so this was dragging on for almost two months by this point. In March, uh, his chief accuser, uh, who at the time was known only as Effie, she was operating an Instagram account called House of Effie. She uh, retained Gloria Allred as her lawyer and had a live stream press conference in which she claimed that Army Hammer had violently raped her uh, for over four hours, uh, banging her head repeat- repeatedly against a wall, um, slapping or, or whipping her feet, the soles of her feet with a riding crop so that she couldn't walk, uh, really heinous allegations. And within days of, I mean, he, he, but by, by this point, he had already lost pretty much every acting job he had. And he had some pretty high-profile ones lined up. He was going to star as John Dean and Gaslit, the miniseries about Watergate with Julia Roberts and Sean Penn. Uh, Billion Dollar Spy opposite Jennifer Lopez. That movie just came out. Uh, he had a Broadway play on his slate and a, and a number of other big projects. He basically kind of went into seclusion. And, you know, besides a, a statement that was released through his lawyers where he denied uh, engaging in any sort of non consensual acts with these women, um, he had remained silent. And Last fall, I was approached by an intermediary 
who asked if I might be interested in interviewing him and getting his side of the story because the only story that we had heard were were those coming from his accusers. He had not uh, responded to really any of this beyond that first statement that that he had released through his lawyer in January 2021. Uh, I don't cover Hollywood or show business. I don't really follow that stuff. I don't read you know, TMZ. Had or, you heard of this story? Did you, were you aware of it? It had been kind of vaguely in the background. I'd see, well, the, so the, the, my knowledge of it was like army hammer is a cannibal. Right, you know, right. I mean, that's basically all that I kind of saw and I, and I kind of zoned that stuff out, you know, it's just not my, not my beat. Um, and it seemed like an interesting story because the more I looked into it, the more I realized that there were a lot of holes in the, the narrative that was being uh, promulgated in the media. Um, and so the more I dug into it, the more I realized, you know what, there's actually an interesting story to be told here, not just about a kind of celebrity scandal, right? It's really more about uh, our media culture, um, the rush to judgment, uh, the boundaries of consent, due process, um, what we do, f- how we respond towards people who might do things that are not criminal, but uh, count as misbehavior and misconduct, which we can get into. But you know, Hammer acknowledged that that he might not have that, that he did not treat these women well. Um, so yeah, all of those things interested me, and that's why I decided to pursue it. You know. It's so interesting. I mean, both Sarah and I have have covered stories like this and and certainly from, you know, not the sort of, how do I say this, the angle that, you know, most of the uh, rust to judgment people uh, do cover it by. We're we're trying to look at like what's actually happening here, what's under the story. And we're going to talk a lot about that and and maybe what the motivations of of these women are. You know, someone becomes vulnerable, Hammer, Hammer became vulnerable and just all these opportunists rush in it's just this incredible array of people and we'll talk a little bit about why um but one of the things i found so fascinating and, and we'll get there is is hammer's reaction to all this you know he did stay very quiet the only thing i ever heard during a very long sort of timeline after we heard about the initial cannibalism in in air quotes um was that he'd gone to rehab and yeah. this person, um, I, I was really, really surprised when you when you got to the part where he was like, "I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change yeah. anything." So I guess let's we could talk about him a little bit, and then and I definitely want to talk about about the women and the whole phenomena of of you know we we saw this start happening obviously with with Harvey Weinstein and then 2018 and then Me Too just it, it literally sets the world on fire, and we've seen a lot of. What I I think are are bad actors uh, in this on this uh, scene. So um, maybe we're, I don't know where you want to start. If you want to talk, start with the the maybe bad actors with or with Hammer. Well, I'll start. Yeah, I, I didn't mention. You know, he he was married. He's still technically married. He's been separated from his wife Elizabeth Chambers, who's a sort of food personality. And they announced their separation in the summer of 2020. So about six months before these allegations came out. And at the time, it appeared to be. An amicable, an amicable separation. They announced it kind of jointly on Instagram. They were smiling. They, they were saying they were each each other's best friend and whatnot. And it just kind of shows you one of the other things in this story that there's there's so much lurking behind those very happy kind of social media presences that people put up. All of us, not just the kind of rich and famous celebrities. Um, and he was really suffering. I mean, in that marriage, it was it was actually a, for the for the years leading up to it, it was a very unhappy marriage. You know, he was he was abusing drugs. He was abusing alcohol, um, and and he was just unhappy in that marriage. And so I think when he told me that you know he wouldn't trade his current place for what it was before, I think what he meant to say was that he was he was unhappy. He was he was not a happy person, and he was uh, acting out right. He was leading a kind of wild, unmanageable life. Um, and abusing people, not physically abusing people, but by his own by his own admission, he told me that he was emotionally abusive to a number of these these women. And so, you know, he entered rehab soon after the uh, scandal started, and I really think it kind of changed his life. You know, he's been sober for uh, almost two years now, 
and he's now working as a sober counselor. So, you know, right. he'll, he'll be, he'll be moving in with someone who just came out of rehab and helping them get their life together. And he just has a much different kind of perspective on life than he, than he did before, which is very hard for me to imagine, you know, seeing someone who had seemingly everything, right? You got the wife, the beautiful children, the, you know, millions of dollars and this, all these adoring fans all over the world and a, and a great career on the small screen, the big screen on stage on Broadway. But he, you know, he, there was, there was something kind of ugly and, and sad um, going on that, that we weren't privy to. It, it occurred to me uh, when, you know, you really got some incredible access to a lot of the, the DMs that he had been exchanging with various women and, you know, some texts. And it occurred to me like, well, this is kind of not like the greatest idea to kind of put these, the, even if they're private messages, to put these out into the world when you are really like worldwide famous at this point. But then I thought, well, is he doing it because he was almost like trying to get caught like he his or was it just like in the throes of some sort of addiction was it do i think i'm the king of the world and it doesn't matter or is it i'm the worst person in the world and and let the let the chips fall where they may um i think it was probably some of that and i think he was probably under the influence when he was mm. exchanging a lot of these messages um yeah. that that can't be ruled out um but you know part of the story that interested me is that i mean would any of us want our intimate conversations, whether spoken or through text, with loved ones or just people that we're having sexual relationships with? Would we want them not only publicized, but taken out of context and publicized? That's the other thing. A lot of these messages that were first published in the early months of 2021, where he's expressing these you know, sexual fetishes, he... Um, uh, they were they were only his side of the conversation, right? And part of what my story does is it shows what the other side are, right? What the women were writing back to him, and in several of these ex- exchanges, you know, they're giving as good as they got from him, uh, and they're into it. You know, they're they're into these uh, fantasies, and they're 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 playing along with them. Um, if not being the initiator of sure, it, right? Absolutely, yes, in some cases, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. There's a real kind of puritanical aspect to this and a, a policing of people's sexualities. And, you know, I, one of the people I quote in the article, the only person who's really kind of gone on record in support of him is a legendary Hollywood producer named Howard Rosenman who produced Call Me By Your Name. He produced um, Father of the Bride, lots of movies. And he's gay. And Howard's been, you know, openly gay for many years, one of the kind of, you know, Hollywood gay mafia types. And, you know, he said, um, you know, as a gay man who whose sexuality was not accepted for a long time in this town and in this country, um, I can relate to someone else whose sexuality might be considered taboo. And I think it's really, it's kink shaming and it's inappropriate. And um, I think a lot of us feel that way. Uh, and, you know, in this case, look, I'm not into kind of cannibalism fetishes and BDSM. BDSM isn't my thing. But you know what? If you're consenting adults, it's none of my fucking business. I mean, it's- can we pause for a moment on the cannibalism fetish thing? Because yeah. it's such an eye popping detail and it's often the only thing people know about this. And I think, you know, like you said, there have been headlines that say like Army Hammer, you know, alleged, you know, cannibal and stuff like that. What do we mean when we say cannibalism fetish and what did that look like? I mean, it's really just um, like texting. It's like telling a woman, he said, like, I want to like, you know, cut out your rib and barbecue it and eat it. Like he, but that, that's, that's what it was. It was, it was just writing that. And maybe he was saying that when he was having sex with these women, I don't know, but it's not like he was actually cutting up women and taking out their organs and eating them. I mean, this was a kind of, an expressed it was it was it was sexual talk it was um uh you know in the same way that other people might say they want to you know eat other parts of people's bodies i don't know but it was not it's not you've ever been in a nursery the way that nurses talk to little babies i want to eat you up gobble you up i want to eat you up yeah i mean but make that between consenting adults and sexualize it i think that's kind of what this was it was not you know, there, there, there wasn't anything more to it than that. But things got a little bit wild because, as your story points out, there were investigations opened into, like, missing people. Well, that just shows you how kind of crazy it all was in the early weeks and months of 2021. 
Um, there was a, a story that surfaced about some human remains that were discovered in Wonder Valley, California, which and uh, some internet sleuths, you know, some of these who were really, by the way, these are the people who were driving the story, which is like random people on the internet, you know, uh, amplifying and, and making accusations. They noticed that Army Hammer um, the previous summer had been in Joshua Tree, which isn't far, and that he had done an interview with with GQ, the British GQ, where he was photographed there because he was helping a friend who was like renovating a motel, a kind of like boutique motel out in the desert. And so they put two and two together and wondered, oh, well, he was, you know, in the vicinity of these human remains that were found. Maybe he ate these people and left them for dead. And then, and then like the local, the local police had to put out a statement saying, you know, Mr. Hammer is not a suspect in this. By the way, you bring up legal, you know, the main accused, I should say there have been no criminal charges or civil charges filed at all. Um, the main accuser, this woman, Efrosina Angelova, and I think it's important that we mention her name because there's this um, uh, there's this uh, um, tradition, I guess, where you don't name the accuser in these cases. And I can understand that in some cases. But you know what? When someone's lobbying accusations for two years behind the safety of an Instagram account and they don't file criminal charges and they don't sign an affidavit – which is reportedly what happened here, when their lawyer, Gloria Allred, who is not a woman known for shying away from high-profile cases, when Gloria Allred drops you as a client, uh, I think at that point, I think in as a journalist, to be fair, I think you have to name that person, okay? So she hasn't participated or cooperated with law enforcement in this. And to this day, she's still, you know, you can go on her Instagram account. She's still lobbying accusations on an hourly basis. Uh, but I, there's no, but there's this, you know, open-ended investigation, which has been going dragged on now for almost two years, and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. It's reported, it's been reported through like TMZ that the LAPD investigation has ended and that they've, you know, re- referred it to the di- di- the di- district attorney's office. But the district attorney's office, I tried to get a comment from them, and they didn't respond. I think it's important to mention about, yeah, it's her effort. Efrosina Angelova. Uh, she's Bulgarian. She had been a sex worker at some point in some form. She had contacted him initially to see if he could help her or donate some money or be part of some um, organization. A, ch- a charity helping autistic children. Helping which, autistic children. I, I reached out to them and they didn't respond to whether well, or not she had ever volunteered or worked for them. Because apparently he has uh, someone autistic in yeah. his family. And yeah. then she sort of like literally toward the end of the conversation, I guess when he was sort of asking like, well, you need to tell me a little bit more, some more details about this. She instead said, what did she say to him? She said that she worked in a dungeon. Okay. And I mean, this is you know, a sex it, dungeon. It's a little bit of a non sequitur, but it, it basically who knew if she knew this or why she knew it or if he'd intimated, but it was basically the button that he no. said it was like the balloon inside yeah. of him just popped to the surface. And they started a, a, a toward affair, which continued for a while. There are Instagram messages with, she had House of Effie was her Instagram account. She had private messages with one or more followers or friends saying, no, he's a, he's, a, he's such a daddy. It's great. It's all this stuff. I love it. I love it. No, he never was, there was never any rape or anything here. It's consensual. And then, I, I don't know exactly the timeline, you can tell us, maybe it was when he told her, like, we're not going to do this anymore. Um, she started following him all over the world. Yeah. She also wanted him to leave his wife. She yeah. had this idea, you know, this is sort of like an I will not be ignored situation, right? And um, and he's like, I'm not, this is not going to happen. I've never intimated to you that we were going to be together. Or I was going to leave my marriage or whatever. And then she followed him to different countries. I mean, as far as I recall, where he was yep. filming or appearing. And then uh, maybe when she was not getting what she perceived she wanted, the story completely changed. It became that he had been violent with her and raped her. Did I get that timeline? Yeah, so she, right? uh, yeah, after he ended it, she was threatening to tell his wife. This is in 2017. And he kind of begged her not to, um, and she said he basically got her to agree to give him 24 hours to warn his wife in advance, which he did. And then she notified the wife and eventually sent the wife some of these message conversations. 
She also told the wife at some point, and we report, I reported this in the story. She told the wife, um, you know, I'm sorry for doing this. And I was pursuing him. I was chasing him. He told me he felt guilty and he had never cheated on, you know, at, at any point in his relationship before. And he felt guilty about it. Um, so that's also a contradictory account that, that, that contradicts what she would later say. So there are numerous people whom she told that this was a consensual affair, um, that it was not rape. Um, and these are statements that are obviously at odds with what she would later claim in her press conference and has been claiming ever since. <clears throat> they liked to engage in some scenes, I guess yeah. they're called, sort of play acting certain um, rape kind of controlled rape fantasies and violations. Um, it, I, I, um, you, you published some correspondence that had never been seen before. Um, I guess I have two questions. Well, one of them is, is she the one, I'm sorry that some of mine came across blurry and Nancy had to send them to me. And so I get them a little out of order. Is she the one that, that said that she was craving him for, to, to give her a one man gangbang? I believe that was Effie. Yeah. And fill all her holes. Yeah, that sounds I mean, it's like really it. wild language. Sure. Um, how did you get those messages? Well, I think that exchange, if I'm not mistaken, were at, was actually released to the media okay. by his lawyer um, in like the days after. Right. Um, but it was only the Daily Mail that would publish the, those messages. And they actually redacted the most uh, lurid parts we we decided that this needed to be seen to give full context to the story. So we we printed those messages in full. And those those were sent in 2020, right? So those were sent three years after this alleged rape had occurred. You do you want to maybe mention we have also an image, something a little bit about the timing of that alleged rape, which I thought was right. fairly telling. Yeah. So he uh, so she alleged that he raped her on April 24th, 2017. And there's a couple of important points to make about this. One is that in January of that year, so three months earlier, he seriously injured himself lifting weights. He injured his right pectoral muscle. And um, it was an extremely serious injury. He had to get emergency surgery. He was in a sling for about a month. And uh, he showed me a number of medical records that he was undergoing physical therapy in, in the days right after this alleged rape, he had multiple physical therapy appointments. He also had physical therapy appointments before the alleged rape. And it wasn't until June 2018, so over a year after the alleged rape occurred, he announced on Twitter, I'm finally able to now lift weights again for the first time since this injury happened. So I'm not saying that this is dispositive, but it does, it does seem like important evidence to enter into this uh, story that he did not really have full functioning use of his dominant limb, his right arm, uh, during a time when he was alleged to have violently raped a woman for four hours, including banging her head repeatedly against the wall and whipping her feet with a riding crop. I think that that's important evidence to have. I'm not an expert on rape, but it does seem like it might be difficult, even if you're a large, even if you're a much bigger man, and he's he's a big guy, and she's a a smaller woman. It does seem like it would be hard to maintain that sort of control over someone for over four hours when you really can't use your right arm fully. And I, I, I can't could be wrong. I could be wrong. I don't know. I can't remember in the story. Did she uh, give any sort of explanation as to why she never came forward with the allegations of rape? Because she was afraid his family was going to hurt her. Or she said like that, that at some point that the family might kill her. She was afraid that Army or his family might kill her. To give a little context to that, I I have a <clears throat> I have a good friend who was obsessed with this story. Bless her heart, and so <laughs> she dragged me into it, and I was I went willingly. But we watched uh, a a series was called House, House of Hammer. Hammer. Yeah. And it was quite dark. And the whole conceit is that he comes from this line of very evil, you know, dark and twisted, you know, wealth and privilege and power. And there's like dungeon, you know, sex dungeons in the house and stuff like that. Can you talk a little bit about Army Hammer's um, 
great grandfather and the the sort of mythologies around the Hammer family. You know, I tried to not get into that in this piece because I I was really focused on this incident, and I actually think that a lot. I thought I thought that that documentary. I, I it's actually wrong to call it a documentary. It's yeah. really tabloid trash. Um, and if you look at the people who are interviewed in it, it's like random Instagram personalities who've been following the case. They interview a guy who was in his acting class when he was like before oh he became God. a I professional know. actor. It was a lot of just like, frankly, fame hungry people. Um, they also interviewed his estranged aunt, who, according to Hammer, he has never been alone with in his life and has not seen in about 15 years who is pretty clearly trying to kind of profit off of this whole story. She's appeared on all these television shows. She actually told Vanity Fair um, that, you know, after Hammer was let go by his talent agency, that she wanted to walk into the doors and say, you hired the wrong Hammer, you should hire the right one. I mean, so she clearly has an agenda, and she's like one of the leading sources in this documentary. So, you know, I don't, I don't think as a society we should be holding people accountable for the sins of their great-grandfathers, which is mostly what that documentary is about. It's about Armand Hammer, who, who's Army's great-grandfather, who was an oil tycoon and a very controversial guy, absolutely. As someone, someone who's, anyone who has that amount of money and is dealing at that level of society is going to be a controversial person, right? And certainly his grandfather uh, was accused of, of kind of sexual crimes as well. But, you know, for me, that that was not really relevant to his own guilt or innocence. Yeah, the aunt was was pretty stunning in terms of the sort of opportunistic people who will rush in. But I really feel that, and, and we've seen this, I mean, I, I've covered the sort of Felicia Sonmez story, you know, she didn't come out with her allegations until somebody else had. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, wow, here's, you know, kind of my opportunity. It seems to me that once he was, um, you know, unmasked or whatever you want, he was in the barrel, you had these people just all of a sudden, they're like, oh, wait a minute, my turn, my turn. Uh, and they include uh, Courtney Vukovic, who was a beauty app developer, developer, Paige Lorenz, who was an Instagram influencer, and a woman named Julia Morrison, who is an artist, and she started a Me Too NFT based on some messages they've had. They never actually even met. No. But you have a quote in your piece that I found so stunning that she kind of admitted that they'd never met, but you know she knew. What did she say that he was a predator yeah. and that he would hurt or kill yeah. her or something? And by the way, she was referred to in numerous press accounts as an ex-girlfriend of his, which just tells you how lazy the media was in this, right? That they would, by her own admission, she never met him, and yet she's still referred to by journalists as being an ex. No, no, the journalists. Look, we we know this, Jamie. Sarah and I talk about this often. The, the way that people fall down on these stories because the just the smell of it is just too tantalizing and they've got to run with it and find any like little juicy thing like the crazy aunt who's going to walk into <laughs> William Morris Endeavor. It is bananas. Like, how about finding out what happened? And that's what you did. I don't know who your intermediary was, but bless them because they picked the right person to tell the story and to tell the story properly. And it's so I, I mean, I, I'll bang my head all day against the wall saying this. It is absolutely imperative that we complicate these narratives. If we want people to, whether you call it due process or a fair shake, or to maybe understand something about the truth so we can do a better job moving forward. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about these women and what you maybe saw as their objectives? Was it just to get their moment in the sunshine? Oh. I, I don't want to speculate on their motives. I will say that, you know, when it came to Vucicovic and Lorenz, these are two women that he had relationships with in the months after separating from his wife. He says that he was emotionally abusive. You know, I asked him, I said, you weren't physically abusive. You made that clear. But do you do you think you were emotionally abusive to them? And he said, one million percent. Yeah. And the way he describes it is, you know, he said, look, there was a power imbalance in these relationships. I was a rich and famous celebrity. I was older than these women. He's about, you know, these, these were women in their early to mid-20s. He, at the time, was in his you know, early or mid-30s. He's 36 now. So he was about 34 at the time. And he said, look, uh, perhaps these women were willing to do things with me in terms of the BD, BDSM stuff that they might have said no to uh, if I wasn't a rich and famous person and that he should have been more cognizant of that. Uh, and so that's him, you know, that's him taking responsibility um, but it's 
we need to draw a distinction between that, between being an asshole. It's the term he said. I was an asshole. We need to draw a distinction between being an asshole and being emotionally abusive and, cr- and criminal activity. And I also think that if we're going to destroy someone's career and render it so that they cannot have a job, by the way, you know, he tried getting a job or working as a timeshare salesman in the Cayman Islands and someone took a photograph and sent it to TMZ and it blew up and, and he got, and he got in, embroiled in an Im- immigration investigation because he didn't have papers. Okay. So, you know, is, if, if being an asshole and being emotionally abusive to someone is going to be, you know, the thresholds by which someone loses their career, we're going to have a huge unemployment problem in this country that would rival that of the great depression, I think, because lots of us, have behaved in ways and relationships, maybe not as bad as Army Hammer did by his own admission, but I think we've all done things in relationships that we regret. So uh, Michael Moynihan was here the other day because the Fifth Column guys uh, uh, podcast out of my studio here. And um, we said we were going to actually give up our careers as journalists and go into the ice flow manufacturing business so that everybody that was then canceled that we the society wants to forbid to ever again participate in society or have a job, we can then just put them on the ice floor and shove them out. Yeah. Because that seems to be, I actually think what it is, it is an unquenchable hunger for destruction. Yeah. There will never be enough. You could set him on fire in the middle of Times Square. It'll never be enough. It, it, it's a hunger that cannot be satisfied. And I mean, as of the moment, we do hope you've got some hopeful stuff. There, there's that one director who directed him in, in Call Me By Your Name, who's like, I can't, it was at the director or producer, I can't remember, who said, I can't wait to work with him again. I can't, the director, you, yeah. The director. Luca, Luca Guadagnino. Yeah. But, you know, that's like one voice. Everybody, not everybody, most people probably, you know, don't have big feelings about this. But a lot of people that had been his support system, including his wife, um, are kind of uh, delighted to see this guy keep twisting in the wind. I have a question. Mm. it's about power and balance Mm. because I think that it's, it's something that keeps coming up in all these, all these scandals. And it, it gets said like, Oh, well there was a power imbalance. Like, well, yeah, of course that was against, that was foul. And I'm like, I I came of age in the eighties and nineties, you know, a power imbalance was hot. That was like a turn on, you know, we chased celebrities in my day. We wanted, I'm like, I, I think that's still happening. You know, the power imbalance is the point. You don't want the scrub on Tinder. You want the guy who is, you know, uh, on, you know, in, in Hollywood and going to the hot parties. And so I don't quite understand how, Everyone keeps saying there was a power imbalance like it was his fault, but they pursued him because there was a power imbalance. Mm. Can you speak to that contradiction at all? I think that's a good point, you know, and the way he describes it is that these relationships ended. He says, he, you know, I, I picked these women up and I took them on this whirlwind romance with a lot of drugs and emotions and hot and heavy talk and trout, you know, can you imagine being a a young woman uh, and then Army Hammer swoops into your life? I mean, that's pretty exciting, right? I'd become a cannibal. (laughs) I'd be like, you can can totally eat my rib. No, it's delightful. It's delightful. Okay, but then, you know, these relationships, they end. And he moved on to the next woman, right? And the way he frames it is that, um, you know, they didn't, they didn't, these women didn't like how those relationships ended. And they felt angry. They basically got dumped, you know, um, and that now they've come out and they saw an opportunity to perhaps, you know, hurt someone who hurt them. Um, you know, yeah. he talks about it and Sarah's, of course, talking about it like you get something for a while. It's it's an exchange, right? You're young and beautiful and he wants young and beautiful and you have sex and there's drugs and there's parties and you run with this thing. And it's it's delightful. And it's something, let's say. I'm the young woman, right? I, 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 I really enjoy it. And then it ends. And what I can do if I want to is just like go on with my life and say like, God, that was a kind of cool little episode that I had in my life and I can go on. But it seems that a lot of these women are then unhappy that they don't get any more. The delight wears off, right? Now, what are they going to do? Like we're, what they want to have that sense of delight again, but they try to grab it in a way that's actually quite 
it seems quite negative, not just to hammer, of course, because I don't really know how much delight you can get from seeing this person suffer, though maybe some people do. But what is it? What do you think, Jamie, it actually gets them? Like, what kind of mileage do they get out of destroying, like even like emotionally or existentially, what kind of mileage do they get out of destroying another person publicly? You know, I can't, I don't, I don't want to speculate on that. Um, and I'm not sure if I should, because okay. I honestly feel like uh, anything I say, anything any of us say on this could be twisted and made to make it sound like someone's being insensitive or callous or misogynistic. And I think it's really hard as a man, frankly, here talking to you too, it's really hard as a man to wade into these conversations, particularly as a, as a gay man. You know, I don't date women. So uh, that's kind of out of my field. Um, and I'm not an expert on heterosexual <laughs> relationships and those dynamics. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that's a bad, I don't know if I'm copping out on that. No. But, um, yeah, it's a really complicated thing. It's a really complicated issue. And I think it's a case-by-case basis. You know what? We'll never know. Like, we weren't in those rooms. Okay? We weren't, we weren't present for those relationships. Um, we didn't, we weren't privy to every conversation in the, in the pillow talk. And, and, you know, you know I, I saw some, you know, text message exchanges, but I didn't see everything that went on between them. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's really I, tough. I, as a heterosexual woman, that's been done dirty by many, many, sure. uh, Army Hammer lights in my time. Mm. Uh, I have long suspected that a lot of these sexual abuse allegations really originate with the emotional abuse. Yeah. Um, that there is a justice that you're seeking, a justice of the heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my new book, Justice of the Heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, buy it on Amazon. And, uh, and what you don't have an avenue for that because being an asshole is not illegal, but you do have these alternate avenues. Well, now we have social media where you can, yes. you can, you can wage character assassination against yes. someone and there's no, there's no court of law for that. Right. And so this is what I tried to get to at the end of the piece is like, you know, what do we do with someone who committed acts that were not crimes, right. Who maybe behaved like an asshole um, and who maybe, you know, maybe they do behave in ways that should limit their career opportunities, right? Like there are professional environments where you have men who, um, maybe what they do is not sexual harassment. Maybe it's short of sexual harassment. Maybe it's not legally actionable, but it's creepy, right? It's like creepy behavior. And like, maybe they should be exposed and those people should lose opportunities, right? Um, so it's a gray area. I think it's just a vast gray area and it really is a case by case situation. And you can't paint with a broad brush and you really need to know the full, as much of the full story as you can get. And I think the problem with this story that I wrote about, the Army Hammer case, is that for two years, we only heard one side. We only heard the side of these women. Uh, and we didn't hear the other side. And now we've heard the other side. And you know, I'm not his lawyer. I'm not his publicist. I presented what I thought was a fair story. And I tried to insert another perspective into this story. And I'll let readers be the judge. There might be some readers who who read the whole thing and decide that their minds aren't changed, that they still think that he deserved what he got. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally am not there. I don't, I don't think that army hammer should be prevented from ever holding a job, not just an acting job, but a job period. That seems to be the wish of these people. Um, Effie is saying that she hopes he kills himself. That's what she thinks. His Whoa, fate. where, where did she say oh, that? She's, she's tweeted that multiple, she's, Instagrammed that, put that on Instagram multiple times. She also, you know, wished that Robert Downey Jr.'s daughters were raped because Robert Downey Jr. had, you know, quietly helped. It, it, it had been reported that Robert Downey Jr. had helped Army Hammer. And so she then put on Instagram that I, I hope someone does to your daughters what Army Hammer did to me. She also, t- she also said the same thing to his lawyer. Um, basically, anyone who is associated with Army Hammer, she has wished. I mean, using the word "ill" is not strong enough. I mean, she's basically wished violence upon them. So, 
Why do these women not get, I mean, uh, why does he not sue her or take legal action against her? Is it just not a bad look? Is it a bad look? No, he, he said that this woman destroyed my life for the past two years and I want to move on. Oh, that's right. That's, That's right. He, he doesn't he want that, which, you know, I can understand. It's really yeah. onerous. You did a lot of, re- I would imagine you did a lot of reading on this topic in the press. Were there any stories in those two years that you found credible or honorable? Uh, no. <laughs> Sorry. That's um, amazing. I mean, yeah, no, there wasn't. That's why I did the story because I thought that there was a huge missing piece to this, and that no one had really. Yeah, but I thought maybe I thought I I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just thought maybe there might be like one small piece, like like a blog. I mean, Harvey 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 Levin, the TMZ guy, he at some point said he had heard through one of his sources that the LAPD had finished its investigation, that they weren't going to bring criminal charges, and it was time for them to announce this. So that he could move on with his life. I mean, that was really the only um, media personality that I saw who was saying it, who really said anything uh, to kind of counterbalance what the main, what the what the narrative was. Did you? And you, did you? Yeah, and you still see like there's, you know, where are the, where are the Hollywood person other than Howard Rosenman, who I quote in my piece? Where are all the people that worked with Army Hammer over the years? They all know him, and I, you know, I talked to people in Hollywood for this story, and. A lot of them said, you know, Army Hammer had a great reputation. He was always on time. He learned his lines. He never was rude to the crew. You know, he he was, you know, he was really good on set. Um, he was a pleasure to work with. Like that's kind of what his reputation was. He was a, like a nice guy. So it's like, where are all those people? Why are they all being quiet? It's it's because they're afraid that his shame is going to splash onto them. Yeah, yeah. and I, I'm I'm imagine. Did you? Uh, and obviously, you can't reveal names, but did you try to reach out to certain people that were just not? going to make a comment? Um, I, I can't really get into that. I mean, I, sure. I will say Hammer told me that he understands that sure. and that mm-hmm. he gave an analogy where it's like, my house is burning down and, and would I expect anyone to come in to my burning house, you know? Um, and like, you know, I guess you, you might want a firefighter to come rescue you, right? But like most people aren't that courageous. They're not going to run into a burning house and rescue you. Did you, you run into anybody that let's just take the um, comment from uh, Effie saying that publicly, you know, putting public tweets up there that Hammer sh- should kill himself. Did you run into anybody in your in your reporting that said, I don't know, that seems a little seems a little extreme. Like maybe this isn't what we should. We're kind of setting. Oh yeah, precedent. I mean, I'm back right. Yeah, yeah. And also, I should yeah. add here, he did com- he did attempt suicide in yeah. February 2021, like right when this was really. Yeah. When everything was crashing down around him, he told me he he was in the Cayman Islands and he swam out as far as he could uh, with the expectation that he would drown or get eaten by a shark or whatnot. But then at the last minute, he realized you know his he had his children that he loves and he wouldn't want to abandon them. So this this kind of stuff takes a toll on people, you know. <laughs> and I, and I, I you know like just because someone's a, a famous person with a seemingly perfect life, they're not insulated. Um, from the kind of from the public discourse, and it really does take a take a toll on on someone. And yeah, um, I wouldn't trade places with them. I'll just I'll I'll say that. There's a revelation in your piece that made headlines. I learned about your story because um, something that he tells you about his own past mm. became a headline. Um, it was it was grabbed for clicks. Mm. Um, can you talk about what he disclosed to you about his own sort of childhood trauma? Yeah. And, yeah. So I'll say this is another example, I think, of the media failure is that they seized upon this revelation as opposed to the real new, the real newsworthy stuff about uh, the kind of holes in the accusations that were made against him. They seized on this revelation that he made to me that he had been sexually abused by a youth pastor when he was a boy. And he said this not as any sort of um, ex, uh, as an excuse. That's how some people were portraying this. That this was an excuse for his adult behavior. He was trying to explain where he thinks his interest in in this BDSM came from. And he said, you know, a- after his downfall, he he went into intensive therapy, and through that therapy, he came to realize that having sexuality introduced to him as a young boy in that way, where he had no control over it, he was abused by an adult, by, by an authority figure, that that later 
uh, as he grew up, he wanted to be dominant. He wanted to be in control, total control of the sexual situations. And it kind of manifested itself in this um, desire for BDSM scenes and situations. That's why he, he, he told me that. But this is what pretty much all the media, if you look at all the stories that have been published in the past couple of days, this is what they lead with. They, they, they don't lead with the, with the text messages that Effie sent Chambers where she admits to being the one who was chasing him around and pursuing him, right? They don't uh, talk about the medical history, the physical therapy appointments. Um, they lead with, with the sexual abuse, which I think is just another example of kind of the sensationalistic, uh, you know, bias or preference that the media has. So Sarah, you had a you had another question, I think. Well, I'm interested in in the rehab part of this story because you know I'm I'm sober 12 years, and so addiction is always an interesting conversation to me. Obviously, there was drinking and drug abuse here, but you know it seemed to me as I was reading these text messages that this is this seems like uh, sex addiction. Yeah, which is which is an affliction that I've never quite understood. And even Dean, Dan Savage, who you interview for the 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 story, you know, has come out in the past and said there's no such thing. I don't know if he still thinks that. But like, did you feel like this is this is like sex addiction? Um, yes, I think sex and love addiction, SLA. I think is the yeah. there's a, a SLAA. There's a, mm-hmm. SLAA. There's a twelve step program for that. You know, something we haven't mentioned today in our talk and that also was not picked up at all in the media is the psycholegal evaluation that he underwent, mm. that his wife yes. asked him, that made him yes. undergo because she was trying to get sole custody of the children. And they came out, you know, saying that his sexual behavior um, may have been, may have shown levels of, of, of compulsion, but it was not, he did not pose a danger to anybody. Um, uh but yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it is a genuine problem. Uh, I think it is a genuine problem, and it's one that 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 he's acknowledged, but that he seems to be on the right track with. One of the questions that I I think about as you know, Nancy and I are covering these Me Too stories, and um, and I wonder if you have thoughts about it. And if you don't, it's okay. It's kind of a big question, but like. With a lot of these things, I wonder sometimes, are we correcting the sexual revolution or are we walking it back? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure I know how to answer that. I do think that, I mean, certainly the social conservative would say, look at this. This is what you get, right? When you when everyone's liberated and there's no boundaries and there's no social um, stigma attached to anything sexual, you get this, you get, you get women and men behaving like animals with each other and people get hurt. Mostly women, women are the primary victims of it, right? That's kind of the social conservative reaction to this. Um, and again, it's not one that I think I really have a well-formed opinion on. Um, but I do find the, the kink shaming that's been going on strange, right? Because that's something that you would expect from conservatives. And yet now here it is, you know, sensibly progressive people trying to police sexual desire, which was what the whole purpose of the sexual sexual revolution was, was to liberate that, right? To make people feel healthy in their consensual adult sexual desires, right? And to kind of remove the boundaries and let people explore, and here, I think I think there has been a lot of kink shaming involved. But there's a question as to whether or not it's consensual. I mean, Dan Savage says something really interesting in your interview where he says, you know, look, um, I think what probably happened was that these women engaged in consensual acts, but then once they left, the they. Yeah they didn't feel so consensual. Like, and and so it brings up the question of like, can you change what your consent is? Like when more has been revealed, Oh, it turns out he's not going to leave his wife. Oh, it turns out he doesn't like you that way. You know, can you say after the fact, well, I don't consent anymore. Um, you know, that's a very good question. And I think that there's a difference between sex that you regress and which I mean, I've had, I've Hello. certainly had my Hello. share. Of, Hello. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've had my share. Of that. I think that's a part of life yeah. for most of us. Okay, but there's a difference between that and then holding someone else accountable 
for the sex you regret, right? Like, look, if they put a roofie in your drink, then that's, that's wrong. That's, that is on them, right? Or if they, or if they do something, if they, if, if, if they violate you in some way, then that's absolutely their fault. But sex you regret because maybe you were under the influence of something and it was consensual at the time, but you wake up the next morning and you look at the other person in bed and you say, Oh my God, what was that what all about? I, do? I don't think that that's something that you can hold the other person accountable for. And I think that's, that's, that happens a lot now in our yeah. society. I think there's a lot of that going on. I'm not sure if I would refer, I'm not, I'm not sure if I know enough to say that that's what happens in this case, but I, but I do think that that is a major factor in a lot of these conversations we have. Uh, about about consent these days. Your question is so interesting, Sarah, too, about like, are we walking things back? I wonder if, you know, if people and maybe women especially have been told like, look, you're going to get satisfaction if you do all of these other things, but instead they feel hurt or they feel harmed or they're not satisfied. I wonder if then somehow it transmogrifies and they're trying to get satisfaction by inflicting pain on someone else because these women in my estimation have inflicted pain on um on on army hammer and and are not upset about it in fact they're doubling down on it whether it's saying that he should kill himself or this artist you know trying to make money on these nfts i wonder if it's just like a weird way to process what they think they wanted and it didn't work out so instead they're going to be the aggressor I'll let you. I'll let you. I'll let you make that point. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I just did. I don't know. It's just no. A I think it's a. Yeah. I think it's a fine point that you make. Yeah. Um. Well, Jamie, I think we have to let you go because you're very in demand this week, as you should be, because you <laughs> just you. wrote. You know, Sarah and I both write long form, and I just tip my hat to you. It is a magnificent story. It is called Army Hammer Breaks His Silence. It is over on the uh, airmail site. We will, of course, have links to this in the show notes. Um, Jamie, I'll we'll, I'll see you soon. I hope. Thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun. Jamie, this was such a barn burner of a story, and we're so glad you came on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay. Hi. Like you do anything for my affection, you're going all about it. In-